um, for the coming school year. And, uh, and so today we are talking, this is, we're not getting into the book of James, so we'll start James next week. But today I wanted to talk about something that I have on my heart, and it's the why behind the what. And we're talking about um, just big picture stuff today, just as we start the school year. Um, and so it's going to be a little bit different today. I'm not really doing any, any questions or discussions. It's going to be all just me up here talking. I'm going to have Kevin Beaver share a testimony here at the very end. Um, so excited for that. But um, I know sometimes whenever we're up here on the stage and we're just talking about things that are coming up in the ministry, that oftentimes um, it's, just, it's just events. We're just planning stuff. We're planning programs. And often it can just feel like um, it's just Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. And recently, my family and I went out to Colorado just on a vacation, and we saw lots of sign. We saw we saw lots of scenes like this. Next picture, um, where you just see like a never-ending road, and you see like just telephone pole after telephone pole, just as far as the eye can see. And as a pastor, this is how Sunday, Wednesday can feel for me. It's just like Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. It's just like boom, boom, boom. Like it never ends. Like it's kind of frightening to think that I've got to think of a sermon almost every week for the rest of my life. Like think of something new to say about the same topic over and over and over again, right? And it can be frightening. And we, we often think we can, we can let Sunday and Wednesday just go by like this just over and over and over again, and not really think about the why behind the what. Like, why are we really doing all this stuff? Why do we plan all these things that we plan for you guys? What's the, what's the main point of these things? Why are we doing this? And so I, I've learned as a pastor that people want to know why. They don't always say it out loud. I mean, little kids say it out loud. But people your age, you might think in your, in your mind, you might think to yourself, okay, I got up this morning at whatever time, and there's football later today, and um, why did I get up and get kind of dressed up and come to church and sit in a service? Why did I do these things? And, and so you guys might be asking the question why, but you often don't typically ask the question out loud all the time. My little kids, my, my uh, son and daughter, they ask the question out loud all the time. If I say something, it's why? Tell me why. And that's a good question for us to ask about most things, except when it's something I'm telling them to do. So I want you to ask the question, why? Why are we doing all the things that we do um, here and also just church-wide? What's the point of it? And so I think every few months we have to talk about the why behind the what. We've got to keep you engaged with the why of why we do these things um, that we do week in and week out. So this morning is going to be part information part vision, part inspiration, part Bible passage, part story. It's going to be just covering a lot of different things. There's not much of an outline today. This is like the things I've been thinking up just the whole summer that I want to just kind of spill onto you right now. So at the core of this why behind the what for us as a church, there is this one passage in Matthew chapter 25, verses 18 to 20. And here's what the passage says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So right before Christ ascends to go to be with his Father in heaven, he says three things that are really important. He says, go, he says, make disciples, baptize them, and he says, teach them what I have taught you. And right about this point, I imagine the disciples are pretty terrified. They're thinking to themselves, what in the world? Like Jesus, he is leaving us, and he's asking us to go make disciples. And their question must be something like, what, what does that even mean? Or how are we supposed to go about doing this, this making disciples? And so what does Jesus say at the very end of this passage? You'll miss it if you're not careful. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You ever thought about why Christ said that? Why did he tag that on to the end of the Great Commission passage? That's the one that we always leave out, right? We don't think about what he says at the very end of the statement. What he's getting at, he knows that making disciples is a terrifying task. Task. I can't talk this morning. It's a terrifying task. You should be scared. I should be scared. It's a terrifying thing to come to the Bible every single week and study and pray and, um, and think of what I'm going to impart into you this week. It's a terrifying thing to go out and do impact clubs. Terrifying thing to go on a mission trip and have the gospel in your hands and in your heart and have to give that to someone else. It's a terrifying responsibility that he's put on us. And so what does he say? He says, I'm with you always. I think he says that because he wants them to know, look, if you're terrified of this process of disciple making, you should be terrified by it. But guess what? I'm with you. I'm going with you. You're going to have my power as you go and you make disciples. And so we should be scared in a sense. We should also be comforted knowing that he's with us. He goes with us. He guides us in the process. And so a few years ago, our church leaders began asking the question, what does a disciple look like? If Jesus says, go and make disciples, but doesn't give much instruction on actually how to go about doing it, the church has to wrestle with the question, what does a disciple look like? And we explored that question as a leadership staff, and we came up with this, uh, these three ideas. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And these are all throughout Scripture. These were not born in some like conference boardroom. These were like taken from the Scriptures. And first thing we think of is surrender. There has to be an element of surrender. The second thing is community. We must be plugged into some aspect of the body of Christ. And thirdly, there has to be mission. Many have heard this before. But this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So we call these things our core values at TBC, but they also answer the question, what is a disciple? So I want to talk firstly about just surrender this morning. Every disciple's, journey, every disciple's journey has to start with surrender. It's got to start with surrender. And when was the time, here's the question, when was the time in your life when you realized that you were a sinner in need of a Savior? When was that time in your life? Now, for some people, this might be more of a process. This might be, you know, over time I've, I've grown to realize I need a Savior. Maybe it wasn't a day or a date but the question is, have you come to that place where you're in need? You realize your need for a Savior, you're a sinner separated from God because of your sin. And so you want to surrender your life to Him. 
other people that I run into, maybe it is like a day in time where they know like this is when I really got it. It was in this service. It was at this camp. It was on this mission trip. This is when I really understood what it meant to follow Jesus. And one of the things I love to do in my job is I love to hear stories, people's testimonies. So one of the first things I do whenever I meet with a new potential intern or volunteer is I love just saying, like, hey, tell me your, your story of faith. Like, how'd you come to faith in Christ? Or when I'm doing baptism interviews, I love hearing people's stories of how they came to faith in Christ and what led them to that place. I love hearing stories like that. But there, over the years, I've learned that there are certain stories that scare me, and there are certain stories that don't scare me as much. The stories that scare me usually go like this. Well, you know, I, I was born into a Christian family, and as long as I know I've always been a Christian, like I really don't think of a time where I, you know, kind of had this aha moment. I mean, I just raised in church, always went to church, tried to do the right thing. And so, yeah, here I am. I want to get baptized. Or I want to serve with high school kids. And I know I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, can, I can empathize with that. But that scares me to an extent because there's nothing in that story that says, this is when I realized my sin separated me from Jesus. And I, I came to know him at this place in my life whether it was a process or whether it was a day, there's no sense of surrender. Like, this is when I got it. And so those testimonies, they, they kind of frighten me, honestly. I don't want to say someone's not a Christian, but they kind of frighten me that the person never had this moment of like, this is when my faith became real to me. This, when my faith became my faith, not my parents' faith. And so those stories kind of scare me a little bit. But the ones that don't scare me tend to go more like this, where someone says, you know, I was raised in the church, yes, I I knew all the right answers, but it was really at this place in my life when I feel like the gospel became real to me. And I surrendered my life to Christ, or I understood it in a deeper way where I realized this is my faith, I'm following Jesus, this is not something parents want me to do, it's something that I want to do. And there's an ownership of that person's faith. And so these stories don't scare me as much. I mean, every person's story scares me to a certain extent. My own story scares me to a certain extent. But these are the ones that scare me not as much. And so when you and I, when we say the word surrender, there is this initial surrender. Come to know Christ for the first time you see Him as Savior. You, you put your faith and trust in Him, His finished work for you on the cross. You believe in the resurrection. And you are putting your personal trust in Him for salvation. This is not just an intellectual ascent thing. This is, no, I want this for myself. I want to follow Him with my life. This is what surrender looks like. And there is this initial surrender. For some, maybe it was a process. For others, it may have been a day. But once you become a Christian, is there still surrender? There is a continual surrender. So there is an initial surrender, but there is also a continual surrender. So when I plan out Sunday mornings, when I'm trying to look at the Bible and knowing what to teach on Sunday, I am aiming at believers and unbelievers alike. I'm preparing these messages, uh, praying, hoping 
for unbelievers to walk into this room. And as a result of what's taught on this stage, I want people to, through the work of the Holy Spirit, to um, come to that place of initial surrender. But I don't want it to end there. I also want to see Christians come into this place. I'm always thinking of how does this passage relate to a believer? How does it relate to an unbeliever? I also want to see Christians come into this room and I want to, I want to see them and hear you ask questions like, okay, God, how can you speak to me today? How can you um, change me? What areas of my life am I committing idolatry in and how can I surrender aspects of my life to you that I haven't surrendered to you yet? And so there is an aspect of continual surrender um, in the Christian life. And so whenever someone preaches up here, our desire is that the Holy Spirit exposes sin, convicts us of that sin, and leads us into repentance. This is the pattern that we should see. This initial surrender, but also a continual surrender. And this is what we want to see happen as a result of what happens on this stage. And this is what spiritual growth is going to look like for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, you're going to walk into a church, hopefully, Hear the Bible open, see the Bible open, hear it preached, hear the gospel preached, and you're going to hopefully feel a sense of, wow, I feel convicted by that. I want to, I need to turn this aspect of my life over to Christ. Now, not in a legalistic way, but you do it out of joy, giving him aspects of your life that you haven't given to him before. And this is what we get to do as believers for the rest of our lives. Now listen, that shouldn't sound depressing to you. That should be encouraging to you because now once you surrender your life to Christ and there's this initial surrender but also a continual surrender, um, you now get to be a part of community, true community with the church, with the saints. And so the Christian life isn't just, okay, I surrendered my life to Christ so now I get this ticket stamp to heaven and now I have my ticket stamped and so I'm good to go. That's not what the Christian life is all about. That's an aspect of it, but that's not all it's about. Many of us were taught that we need to surrender just to gain entrance into heaven. What you forgot, though, was that you gain entrance into the body of Christ. And it starts there. You enter into community. It's an incomplete picture to say, oh, yeah, it's just a ticket stamp to heaven. You know, just pray this prayer and, you know, do it real quick. And, yeah, you're, you're good. That's not what it means to be a Christian. The next step is you get involved in community. And we're called to be part of the people of God. Once you are saved, you are now connected through the work of Christ and the activity of the Spirit. And you now have people. Listen, this is really amazing to me. Is that there are so many people in this room right now that you don't know each other. But guess what? If you're believers, you're family. If you're believers, you're family. So get to know them. You see what I'm saying here? This is not just a get to know someone just because you're supposed to. This is a, the Bible calls you brothers and sisters in Christ. It uses family words. If you knew, if you, knew you had like a long lost brother out there somewhere in the world, would you want to get to know that person and say like, yeah, I, I got to find him. Like these People that you don't know in this room, if you're a Christian, if they're a Christian, they're family. So get to know them. You get in, it, in someone else's life. They are family. You get to know them. This is why we do things like Wednesday night community groups. 
in Sunday night G groups. It's to get to know the people that are your family. The people that you should be relating to in this way. And the, the, the reality though is, this is really hard. It's really hard because coming in here is easy. It's just you come in, you put up with some small talk at a table. I mean, you get donuts. It's pretty good, right? So you come in here, you get some good stuff, and then you walk out. It's, it's not much asked of you in this room, not a whole lot. But now we're asking, hey, go get involved in someone else's life. Like, closely, more closely knit. Let's, let's get involved in community. And this is really hard because um, the reality is we live in a culture of individualism, especially in the U.S., um, 75% of Americans live in metropolitan areas, and two-thirds of that percentage live in the suburbs. So, so many Americans live around people in close proximity to many, many people. Three-fourths of the U.S. lives in, like, big city areas. And when my family, we drove out to Colorado. Anyone made that, that trip in a car before? Okay, so man, once you get past like Amarillo, you feel like you're in like a zombie apocalypse movie, right? I mean, you're driving past Amarillo, it's like, oh my gosh, we better find a gas station. Um, we're running out of gas. I mean, it's like there's no one. It's like there's just nothing, like just flat and nothing. And it kind of freaks me out. Like I get a little panic. I'm like, man, we got to get to some. <laughs> areas like, I wouldn't know if put Temple of Belton in like a big city area, but like Austin, you got DFW, you got Houston, San Antonio. Many people live in these big metropolitan areas around lots and lots of people. But here's a second truth that's pretty astounding. America, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. We can be around lots of people in proximity, but not know anybody. And be completely isolated and lonely, even though we live in some big cities. So we're isolated. And the way that both of these statements can be true, that we're in proximity, but we're not in community, is entering others' lives is really hard work. It's really hard. It's really difficult. It's really hard work. And so it's just easier to stay isolated. It's just easier to stay Alone and isolated. It's just easier that way. Brad House, an author, he says, we are saved to be a community, not a church of individuals. Ironically, for a holy nation, a people, we are comically pathetic at community. This is Brad House. This is a, a, a pastor and an author. In fact, sometimes I think other religions can actually nail this pretty well compared to us. They can... Um, do better at these things than we can, than we do. Um, when I was in New York City, uh, we were, went to a, um, a Sikh temple. Anybody here know what Sikhism is all about? Anyone? I think Kevin, he led the tour, so he knows what it's about. Um, but basically, it comes from, it stems from Islam, actually stems from Islam, not from uh, Hinduism. Is that right, Kev? Is that correct? Kind of. Correct me, yeah, if I'm wrong. So um, it's not Hinduism or Islam, but it stems from sort of, a, of that part of the world. And uh, 
And if you see someone who is a Sikh, you're going to think they're a Muslim, but they're not a Muslim. And we went to go visit the Sikh temple in, in New York, and it was just an eye-opening thing because I was blown away at how hospitable and community-minded these people were as we entered into their place of worship. We're doing a tour to understand their religion so that the place we're, we're working with in New York can reach out to them and hopefully um, win some of them to Christ. Um, I'm going to go through the pictures there at the back. Bailey, I'm not going to do the video. It's just on time for it today. So I'm going to do the pictures only um, there at the back. But I want to show you some pictures of this. So we walk into this uh, Sikh temple, and they're actually having their version of impact. These are little kids being sort of taught about their holy books. And so we go in, we see them doing this. And, uh, and then the next slide, I think, go to the next slide, is a man who is one of their gurus who just sat with us for about an hour and a half and talked us through what their religion entails, um, answered our questions, asked us questions about Christianity, just totally open-armed, welcoming us in, into their place, even though he knows that we're Christians. Um, the next slide, I think, is a, uh, just a picture of these kids um, that are doing like, uh, see, they have breakouts. They do breakouts too, like we do here in the Outback. And uh, they're just discussing, um, they're doing some educational things in these rooms here. I think the next one might be a um, picture of them doing music, possibly. They teach music there as well. And so they led us on this tour. The next one might be, is that the, um, where they feed them? Yeah. So th- in this place, they actually fed us a meal. Like they, a Sikh temple is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can always walk in there and get food, no matter who you are, no matter what your faith is, no matter where you come from, no matter your need, you can walk in and be fed a meal in this place. We were there for probably three hours or more. And I was blown away at um, our tour guide was a guy named Sarvan who was a ninth grade student. And he was amazing at just explaining everything and, and welcoming us in. And I was blown away by this because here I am looking at this place and how these people open themselves up to people, outsiders. And they're actually doing it in the name of Sikhism, which we believe is a false religion. And yet we have the truth. We have Jesus Christ. And it's so much harder for us to welcome the stranger, welcome the outsider in, and be a place of hospitality and community. These people, they nailed hospitality. They understand community. And yet they're doing it in a religion that we would say is not even a true religion. We have what we say is the truth, Jesus Christ himself, and yet community can be so hard for us. Community can be difficult for us. And it's convicting to me. So how, how open are we to the outsider? How open are we to being hospitable in here in our relationships with people? I was also blown away. We go to, um, we go to Hillsong Church on our New York City mission trip. And New York is considered like a highly impersonal city because it's this massive city. And yet, Hillsong Church in New York City, we, we would stand at, we, you stand in line outside the door. It's kind of like waiting to get into like a concert. It's like the, there's like this buildup of anticipation, right, to go into the door. And there are people out there, welcome people that are um, passing out refreshments, talking to people in the line. Hey, where are you from? Um, what brought you to New York? I mean, do you work here? Do you live here? 
and just engaging with people. Then you go inside and you sit down. And they have people all over the auditorium that are walking around saying hi to people and greeting people and, at, and creating conversation and asking people where they're from and, and just reaching out, to making the place a place of hospitality. And here we are in this highly impersonal city, and yet this highly personal church is reaching people for the gospel. And I think sometimes here in where we live, we just assume, yeah, you know, someone comes into church is like, yeah, well, they've probably been here forever. And I don't really care where they're from. I don't really care what their name is. I don't care what school they go to. And I think we take for granted that someone just knows what to do when they get in here or they just feel welcome just because we forget that we have to be a place of hospitality, a place of community when people come into this room. So many of us, I think, are great at mission, mission trips, impact, local outreach. But the question is, do we live on mission in this room? Do we live on mission in this room? This is why for the next two months on Wednesdays, we're going to be talking about this concept of uncommon community. And we're looking at, um, I think I want to define this for you this morning. I'll do this very quickly. But here are the kind of the 10 traits. Go to my next slide. Here not that part. You'll see that later on. Um, maybe a different Sunday. But here's the 10 traits of uncommon community. First, is it authentic? It starts with admitting where you are. Redemptive. It is safe to confess sin. Transparent. People get real with God and with each other. Intentional. There's an effort to meet and connect regularly. Relational. People laugh. They cry. They connect deeply. And then the next five, giving. Everyone generously shares their time, treasures, and talents. Intrusive. Others have permission to get into your business lovingly. Serving, taking care of the needs of others, both inside and outside the group. Loving, loving God overflows into loving others fervently. Vulnerable, risk looking weak or stupid to edify others and glorify God. These are the things, a summary of the things that we want to see happen um, this year on Wednesdays, even on Sundays. And even leading into Connect Weekend, this is why I've chosen the theme for Connect Weekend is going to be uncommon community because I think there's, we throw the word around a lot, but it really should be something that's uncommon, something you don't see out there in the world should be happening here inside the church. And so we're exploring what these concepts are going to look like in our Wednesday uh, groups this coming semester. Um, So let's talk about Connect Weekend real quick. Because I want to make sure you know from me that we don't do this event just for you to kind of come and have a little bit of fun and have a little breather from school or whatever. The point of us having this event all together is for you to bring other people so they can connect to Christ, but also connect to the body of Christ. And so we need you to be the hands and feet that can invite people in. You've got to be a person that's hospitable, a person who wants to include someone else, a person who wants to reach out beyond your circle of friends. The point of Connect Weekend, hear me, listen, is not for you to have a just fun experience with your friends. The point of Connect Weekend is for you to reach out to people, get them here to the Outback on Saturday night, October 1st. Hopefully come to know Christ, or if they already know Christ, they can connect to the body of Christ. That is why we are doing something like Connect Weekend. 
At the end of today, you're going to have a chance to grab some of these cards to pass out to friends that you may have and invite them in for that weekend. So this is why we do um, these kinds of things. The main point here, the main point of community isn't just let's just all have community together. Community is not a dead end. It's not a cul-de-sac. It's not the point. Community isn't the mission, but we're a community on a mission. The whole point of this is not just to make um, community the point and the mission, but we are to be a community that's on a mission together. This is the point of the body of Christ. And so, in fact, I think if we don't capture the missional aspect of community, then community is just going to die. If we don't capture the missional aspect of community, the community just dies because it has no purpose. If the mission is just to like hang out and have fun, if that's it, then pretty soon you'll get bored. You'll get bored and you'll go do something else. So the community has to be a community that's on a mission together for the gospel, for the kingdom. And so this brings us to our last, last aspect of what it means to be a disciple, and that is this aspect of mission. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 13. Here's what it says. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you hear what that verse just said? Why does the church have shepherds and teachers? Why does the church, why does God give the church these people that are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? It's to equip the saints, meaning you, for the work of the ministry. So why do we do this Sunday morning thing? Why do we do this Wednesday night thing? We do it so that, that you can be equipped for the work of the ministry. This is the whole point. This is why we do these things. I want you to think about how most of us approach church, especially a Sunday morning aspect of church. I mean, let's just be honest. The whole Sunday morning church thing is just strange, especially if you're an outsider. The whole thing is just weird. Like you, you get up, you, you get kind of dressed up on a Sunday morning, you go into this big building, and you, um, you sit down, and then you stand back up, you sing some songs, you sit down again, and then there's this person that speaks to you on a stage for 40 minutes, nonstop, and just they talk. You don't talk. Like you don't get to talk. It's a one-way conversation. And then you get up, and you walk out. Isn't that just weird? Isn't that just strange? And here's what happens. On the way home, um, on the way home, everyone might talk about, like, you know, the performance of, well, um, how was worship today? Or how was the talk today? And it's kind of like a little evaluation goes on of, like, yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, it was okay. Or it was, it was great. Man, worship was great. Pastor, not so much. 
And it's just like this evaluation takes place of like, listen, listen. This was never meant to be a performance. Up there, it was never meant to be a performance. It was never meant to be a guy on a stage, just this one person just exercising their gift. And then you just walk out and you go home and you just kind of evaluate it, how they do. I see nowhere in Scripture where we see that, that mandated. Like, okay, Paul, you're going to get on the stage and you're going to say some things and people are going to be like, bravo, bravo, right? That's not the point of the church. The point of the church, the point of standing on the stage and speaking the truth is so that the, the saints can be equipped for the work of the ministry. That's the whole point of it. It's not meant to be a performance. It's not meant to be a show. Doesn't mean you can't have gifted people doing some things that are pretty astounding, but the point of it, it has to lead to you being equipped for the work of the ministry. And so, um, God gives us that mission, gives us that task on this stage and on Wednesday nights for mission for you so that you can be equipped for this mission. This is the whole point of it. You know, back in the springtime, we did a church-wide survey where um, one of the questions was, are you involved in anything outside of like Sunday morning worship service? And only 20% of our church said they're involved in a community group or serving in some capacity in our church. And I saw that and went, man, 80%, 80% of our church comes into a parking lot, sits in a service, and then walks out the door, and that's their entire church experience. And what a tragedy that is. They're missing out on what God has for them. I'm not trying to be legalistic and say, like, you need to do more. You need to get, get you know, involved in something else. That's not what it's about. But the point is, you're missing out if you're not involved in community and mission. You're missing out on what God has for you. We call this consumer Christianity. I also call it restaurant Christianity. This is, you know, you guys go to lunch after church often, oftentimes. So you go and you sit. If the food's good, you come back. If it's not, you go somewhere else. It's how many of us approach the church. I go and I sit. I consume. If it's good, I come back. If it's not, I go somewhere else. This is not what the church is supposed to be about. The church is meant to equip you for ministry for this mission that's for the gospel and for the kingdom of Christ. And so um, this coming November and December, I want to talk about uh, equip groups. This is why we do something called equip groups. And we'll start these up in uh, November and December. On Our Wednesdays become equip groups for those, um, those few short weeks in November and December. And this semester, we're going to do some, uh, here they are. Um, it's going to be how to study the Bible. Like how to really get into it for yourself. Um, media and entertainment, using wisdom. What's okay? What's, what do I draw the line on when it comes to those kinds of things? Um, and then thirdly, the gospel for Muslims. If I have a friend who's an unbeliever, maybe they're a Muslim, maybe they're not, but I need to know the gospel well enough so I can converse and love and care for someone who believes differently than me. So the point of the church is to equip you for these kinds of things. Um, this morning I want you to hear from a student, a student who's been very involved in community, helping to lead things, 
and be part of things. So come on up, Kevin Beavers. Come on up, man. And he's just going to share with you um, what community has meant to him in his life. So here he is. Hey, guys. Um, give me one second. I'm going to open this up. So if you don't know me, you probably do. But if you don't, my name's Kevin Beavers. I'm a senior at Belton High School. And um, I've gone to TBC since I was a baby. So I've been here a long time. Um, and I'm just going to share a little bit with you, just kind of like, I don't know, contextualizing what Dave was saying as like, you know, because Dave's this guy who's done all these awesome things and he's been in the ministry for a long time. So stuff um, that he says, we're kind of like scratching our heads because we're like, Dave has so much more experience than us. So first of all, I, God is super cool. God is so cool. Because the other week I was like looking, um, thinking, praying about like Ralph Wilson's it was getting started. And I was like, I just want to talk to people about how important it is to get involved and then, like, literally two and a half weeks later, Dave comes up to me. He's like, hey, will you talk on Sunday um, about how you, and getting involved in community is important? And I was like, God is amazing. And um, Wednesday night I went home, and I was thinking about it because I have a restless mind. And um, I took, turn on the shower, walk away, walk back, open up the shower, and it's full of water. This is a picture, by the way. It's like a metaphor. Just so you know where I'm going. Um, it's full of water. I was like, well, darn it, I can't. I'm not taking a bath, taking a shower. So what I do is I turn off the water, let it drain, and then I go get a screwdriver because every teenage boy should have a screwdriver in his bedroom. And I took it and I opened up the, the drain thing cover, and I look underneath, and it's full of gunk, and it's full of trash, and it's disgusting um, because it's a shower, and showers are disgusting. And anyways, um, over the next, like, 10 minutes, I took, and I took all the gunk out of the drain, like, unclogging it, and obviously it started to work better again. All that to say, that's what the church should be for us. The church should be the places where we come and we pry up the lids of our lives and we reach in and we take out the crap that we have and we throw it away so things start to work better again. And sometimes people view it as like consumer Christianity and for me that really perturbs me. Um, but the church is the place where our dreams should be addressed, our doubts should be addressed. Um, and it's something that's been really convicting to me. So I have four little sisters. Um, they're all like six years or older, six to 12 years older than me. So I never really had like close brothers and sisters. So the church has always been the place where I came to look for my family. So if you're one of my friends, um, know that I view you as my family, which is kind of creepy. But like I've always plugged into the church as a place to look for actual brothers and sisters in Christ because my sisters were, they're awesome, but they're so much older than me, it's hard to relate with them sometimes. So like getting plugged into the church is not only vital in my family role, but it's also my family. <laughs> like, you guys are my family. I love you guys. Um, getting involved in stuff like C groups, G groups, you know, D groups when those used to be a thing, um, outreaches, impact, um, just like random conversations with people. Like, these are the moments that I live for. And I know that's confusing and it doesn't make that much sense, but the moments where two Christians come together and Christ is glorified through conversation, whether it be through song or we're just, you know, talking about passage or we're just talking about, hey, how was your week this week? What are you struggling with? You know? Um, that thing we talked about last week, has it gotten any better? Has it gotten worse? Um, things like that. Just being real with people. Doing life together. My sister says doing life together. I love that. Um, the church is a place where we're supposed to do life. It's not supposed to be a place where we come and we, you know, we hang out. And we talk. And we say, hey, how are you? I'm good. Hey, how are you? I'm okay. And we don't you know, inquire. The church is a place where we do life together because the church is the bride of Christ who gives us life. Um, I don't know. The church, I have a lot I want to say, um, but I don't have that a lot of time. So the church is a place where... I've always um, found love and belonging, um, which is 
great for me, but the sad part is it's not what happens for a lot of people. A lot of people come in and they don't get plugged in. People don't approach them. People don't make them feel loved. Um, and that's, that's really sad. But all this to say, this community that we're building, this community that we've entered into, if you haven't entered, entered into it yet, I hope and I pray that you do enter into this community, this group of believers here at the Outback. It's not just to be stagnant. We aren't on, you know, we're not coming here and we're sitting down in a movie theater and watching the movie of Christ. We're running a race where Christ or the heaven is at the end. And we're all running together. We're all high schoolers. We're all in this race together. And Dave started this race a, lot, a long time before we did, so he's a little farther along than we are. And the kids, at the, the kids at the rally room, they're a little bit behind where we are, but this is the place where we are and we're all together. Um, so don't view it as a place of, oh, you know, maybe this guy more, knows a little more scripture than I do, or this girl, you know, she's just really involved. But it's a place where we're all in our life together, and we're moving towards the end goal together. So it's something that, I don't know, all these conversations, all these outreaches, it's just something that we are doing life together. We're moving through the vision that Christ has for us. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's a messy thing, I'm not going to lie, but it's a beautiful thing. Um, just kind of close out for a second. I always like to have... God have the last word. So um, I was thinking about, I'm one of those people that I love to see proof. Like, I don't know, I have a logical mind. So faith is a really hard concept for me. That's a different conversation. But I love to see proof. I love to see things, especially in scripture, because we know it's true, that, you know, it's like what we're talking about, what Dave's been talking about, it's in action. And it is. So um, you don't have to flip there. You don't, um, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it, but it's an Acts 2, awesome book, Acts. I really encourage you to read it. If you want to know how the church should look, read Acts. Um, but, so, it's really cool. They're sitting around in a room, the beginning of Acts 2. They're sitting there, and Christ, Christ promised that he's going to bring a spirit, right? And they're sitting there waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled, but they're sitting together, and they're praying <laughs> together. They're not sitting on their couch alone in their own place. They're not alone um, waiting for Christ to fulfill his promise because he promised me. No, they're together in a group praying to God because they know he's going to fulfill his promise. Um, so I just think that's so beautiful. Like even whenever God hasn't fulfilled his promises to us yet, you don't think God's done what, he's think, like, what you think or what you think you deserve, which is another conversation. Um, but just because you don't think that what God wants to do has happened doesn't mean that you should be excluded or exempted from community. Um, community is a place where our doubts are addressed. Community is a place where our problems, our drains are gunked out. Um, and all this doesn't happen. A Christian walk doesn't happen alone. Like the race isn't ran alone. Um, and then it doesn't just happen where we're waiting for God to fulfill his promises. If you flip to, I mean, the first verse was Acts 2.1. The next verse is Acts 2.42. Um, it's talking about all the stuff that they're doing. The fellowship among the believers um, and just the life that they live. They live a selfless life, a life that, you know, I want to come up to Phoenix. I want to come to Kyle and say, hey, what are you struggling with? How can I be praying for you? Or, you know, if you're girls, you can do that with girls. I don't know what the girls do. But um, I just really want to encourage you guys this morning just to hold true and hold fast to the place of the church. Even though church isn't life, church is the place where we do life. As Christians, we're not exempted, we're not held aside from church. It's not something you can't get into. Um, and obviously, y'all are in church because we're here, so I'm not, like, screaming at you. But I really encourage you to have life and have it fully. Um, like in Psalms 1, like, we want to be trees planted by water um, that, like, are strong. 
right? We don't want to be, you know, like these tumbleweeds going through the desert. We want to be trees that are strong. A place where you dig your roots deep is in community and in an awesome place like the Outback where a biblical community has been created, like with our elders and like the staff all the way down. Um, and Dave, obviously, because Dave's always here. Um, but just really hold true and be really appreciative of what we have here. A lot of places don't have a place like this. So I would really encourage you guys just to plug in. Um, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's, you know, just coming on Wednesdays. If you have to sacrifice your time, if you're not free on Wednesdays, sacrifice time to come on Wednesdays. I don't know if that's getting involved with, you know, impact um, in the summer or doing year-round ministries or coming to G Group. I don't know how that looks for you. I would just really encourage you to pray and just do something. Get more involved in the place where life happens, um, in the place where we do life and life comes through us in the spirit. So um, I love you guys and talk to you later. Thanks, Kev. So I know we're late, so um, what I've got for you guys...